You know, the Bible is the truth. And today we're going to look at the truth about the family, uh, the truth about the fight, and the truth about forgiveness. Now, none of these are necessarily exhaustive, but there's elements of it that we really need to hear. And so in Mark 3, we begin in verse 20. It says, And then the multitude came together again, so that they could not so much as eat bread. But when his own people, and that's Jesus' family, when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him. For they said, he is out of his mind. And so, you know, the Lord is ministering. Uh, a lot of people believe he's in Peter's house now in Capernaum. And again, it's one of those times where there's a whole bunch of people there. I mean, it's packed out. We're going to see later on when uh, Jesus' parent, his mom and brothers try to come in. They can't even get in because it's so packed, right? And so they're there and in the house and they're ministering so busy that they don't even have time to eat. Now think about that for a second. We've touched on this before. It's not the first time that this happened with Jesus. But you can just visualize like a whole bunch of people going over the into your house or someone's house. And you're there, you're sharing the word, right? And then after the Bible study, people aren't going to just go home, right? They want to talk to you. They want to talk to Jesus or at least one of the 12, one of the ones that are one of his teachers, right? And so after the study, there's a line of people that are there or whatever, you know, and just busy ministering. Can you imagine the needs that were represented there? I mean, here's Jesus. He can heal any physical addiction or any physical infirmity. I mean, whatever your situation is, you can come to him and he can give you the right answer. I mean, just the ministry opportunity was, was crazy. And so real busy, don't have time to eat. And what ends up happening was his family finds out about this. They come 30 miles from Nazareth. And, uh, and it says right there, again in verse 21, that they went to lay hold of him. Okay, now that means that they wanted to take him out of the ministry by force. You know, they wanted to go and lay hands on him, you know. They didn't want to just say, oh, hi, me, how you doing? I brought you some burritos or something. No, it was like, no, we want to get him out of there. And their reasoning was they thought he was crazy. They said he's out of his mind. Now, why would Mary think that? Why would his brothers think that he was out of his mind? You know, and, and probably the reason is because, you know, yeah, and it's kind of tough. Um, Mary, if you remember, I mean, she conceived Jesus supernaturally. It was a miracle. So she knew all about that miracle that Jesus was born like that. And I'm sure she remembered that the angel had appeared to her and all the miracles. She was a godly young woman, even when all this happened, you know. So, you know, you wonder why would she think he's crazy and his brothers you know they grew up with him of course we know in john chapter 7 it says that they didn't believe in him so that's a little different but you wonder how would mary she's oh come on we gotta we gotta get jesus you know he's talking to his brothers james and joseph and judas and simon it's all you know get him we gotta gang up on him we gotta get him out of there he's crazy why and and i think we know the reason is is because the religious leaders wanted to kill him the religious leaders wanted to kill him you know and so they're thinking the religious leaders don't even think my son is right 
And, uh, and, you know, we've talked about this already, that they kind of gathered together. They were coming up with a plan that, to assassinate him. Now, all you moms here, just think about this for a second. If you found out that's, that the, the religious authorities, or we'll just say the authorities, the police department, was after your son and they wanted to kill him, well, now, would that not move you <laughs> out of your house and you want to go rescue your, your son, you know? That that's where Mary was. And, I, and the interesting thing about it is this. Even though she went through the miracles that she went through, remember this, you guys, miracles are not enough. You see an angel come, you experience a supernatural conception. You know, uh, experience and miracles will never prepare you for the, the tests of life. Only the Word of God will. And Mary didn't know the prophecies regarding the suffering servant. She obviously didn't really know that yet. And so they come, and man, they, they think he's crazy. And so they want to remove him from ministry. Okay, Now, what happened to him, it, in one sense, it, it, it kind of should happen to us. Have you ever, has anyone ever thought that you're crazy? Just out of curiosity, They're like, man, he's crazy. I mean, you know, if not, then you're not right with God. I'm sorry, man. But somewhere along the line, people got to think you're crazy. Man, they go to church on Sundays. They go to the midweek service. You know, they read their Bible and pray all the time. They give, you know, they give 10%. You give 10% to the Lord? 10% of your whole income? Do you realize what you could do with that? Yeah, that's where I started giving. What? You're really crazy, you know? And, you know, you're involved in ministry. You're doing different things. But, but you know... It's been said that if you're not a little crazy, then you're not really in love. And that's the truth, you guys. I mean, they thought D.L. Moody was crazy. They called him Crazy Moody. Did you know that? They really did. And there's the guy that changed the world. He spoke to 100 million people. And he shared the gospel. Man, tons of people got saved. Here's a guy with only a fifth grade education. He only went up to the fifth grade. But at the age of 18, he got saved, he fell in love with Christ, and he made a, a decision in his heart that I will not go to sleep, I will never go to sleep on any given day unless I have shared the gospel with at least one person. And imagine having that heart. You know, here's a guy that would do six sermons every single day, and he had prayer meetings every day at noon. I mean, that's, they called him Crazy Moody. You know, he would lure the kids into uh, the Sunday school by giving them candy and a pony ride. Come on, you want to do candy? You have a pony ride? Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, let me tell you about Jesus. Well, I'm taking you on this pony and giving you the little Kit Kat. You know, I mean, I mean the guy, they thought he was crazy. Um, when he got invited to England uh, to share in evangelistic crusades, the two pastors that invited him died. And so, you know, if that were me, I'd probably say, okay, better not go because the guys that invited me died. He went anyways. They thought he was crazy. But it was during that two to three year circuit of preaching over there in, in Europe that he became world renowned as an evangelist of Jesus Christ. So, you know, the guy's life is just filled with things that in one sense didn't make sense. They didn't add up. That's why they called him crazy moody. But, you know, that's kind of how it should be for our life. I think of the Larson family. 
You know, here's a family. He is a business owner making great money. She is a nurse. She's got a great job. But the Lord puts a calling on their life to go to Cambodia. So what do they do? They sell everything. They sell everything. Now their stuff, it fits in a little, you know, closet. And they're over there in Cambodia, of all places, serving the Lord. Now, do you know how many people told them that they were crazy? You know, when was the last time we did something crazy? I mean, the closest I think I can get maybe is uh, when I quit my job and they're like, man, I mean, you got good benefits here. You're making good money. You're going to go to a place where it's not, you know, solid and you're going to take a 40% pay cut. And yeah, people thought I was crazy. But, you know, the bottom line is, is somewhere along the line, you got to do something crazy, man. And what ends up happening is as you're serving the Lord, people are going to think it's weird. But you know what? You're right where you need to be. And as you're serving the Lord, do you think the enemy is going to oppose you? Absolutely. And that's what ends up happening here. Jesus' own people, his mom and his brothers, they come to lay hold on him, to take him out of this situation by force. If you go down to verse 31, it's going to be cool how it all kind of weaves together his family, it says in verse 31, his brothers and his mother came and standing outside, they sent to him, calling him. And a multitude was sitting around him and they said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. But he answered them saying, who is my mother or my brothers? And he looked around in a circle at those who sat around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. So what did Jesus do? When his family came to get him, they're like, hey, you know, Jesus, they, they're seeking you. And, and they're not just seeking him like, hey, can I have just a couple moments? I want to talk to you. That's different. Jesus knows their motivation. He knows why they're there. He knows they're there to take him out, right? And so the Lord is so, so cool what he ends up doing right here. I don't know if you guys have any family members that maybe you struggle with. Uh, some family members, they like to create drama, huh? They're like the scenes, and, or I don't know if they're starving for attention or what, you know, but sometimes things like that happen. And, uh, you know, you're going to go, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to set them straight in front of everybody. And Jesus probably could have done that. He also could have said something negative about them. Oh, my mom, she's, you know, she can't believe she doesn't believe, you know, my brothers, man, they're just a, a bunch of non-believers. And, you know, he didn't do that. But he did, he did make a decision and he did offer an encouragement to anyone who might ever be in a situation where in one sense they're opposed or ostracized by their family. I love what he says right here, you know. He's like, you know, in all reality, Jesus said, who is my mother and my brothers? And he looked around at those who were there, and he said, they're right here. My mother, my brothers, my sisters, he even adds, they're right here. This is my family right now. My family. You know, and not that he was going to give up on them, because later on, his mom would become a believer, and she would be one of the 120 who was praying in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost. And, you know, his brothers would eventually come to believe in him. You know, James would become the pastor in Jerusalem, and Jude would write a book. James would write a book. Who knows? Maybe they all came to the Lord, you know? And so it did, not that 
he he gave up on them or neglected them, but in that place where they were trying to go against the will of God, he acknowledged the fact that right now I have a different family. And this is my mother, this is my, these are my brothers, and these are my sisters. And you know what, you guys? Let's embrace that. You know, it really is cool when you become a Christian. I didn't have any brothers and sisters growing up, so I didn't have any of that anyway. Some people tell me I'm lucky. I don't know if that's true or not, you know. But I, I tell you what, I love the family that I have now. I love my brothers. I love my sisters. And you guys that are here, just as a quick side note, you see that girl over there and you're like, oh, she's fine. You know what, be careful with that because she's your sister, okay? You got to see her that way, right? And it's so cool when you see each other that way. My brothers, my sisters. You know, sometimes I, I, I see guys and I forget their names. And they probably forget my name too. Hey, bro, what's up? You know, part of it is just, you, you know, you don't know their names. But another part is just that because they are your brother. We need to see each other. And isn't it so cool that we have like extra moms now? I mean, what do moms do? They take care of you. What do moms do? They pray for you. I am so blessed. I have mature sisters who are in one sense can be categorized as moms who bring me salsa, who bring me tortillas, man, tamales, or they pray for me. You guys, that is so cool to know. They offer words of counsel and wisdom and comfort just when we need it. And so, you know, looking at this, I'll tell you what, you guys, I'm all about family. I love my family. Because growing up, growing up, I didn't have that. I mean, I had a biological father and mother, but that was it. It was just a biological thing. I didn't have a dad. My mom was there off and on. She did the best she could, but it was hard for her. So when I got married, It's all about family. I love my wife. I love my kids. But I don't love them more than God. See, and that's where it is right now. The, they're, they're challenging his call. They're challenging his ministry. And uh, they're saying, hey, you got to split. And, and, and right here, what Jesus basically says is, you know, Whenever there's a conflict between what my family wants to do me to do and what God wants me to do, then I have to choose what God wants me to do. We never sacrifice our family on the altar of ministry, but we always follow the Lord. And so, you know, in looking at this right here, it's just so cool what Jesus teaches us about the family. And there will be those times when they oppose you. But you know what? Uh, love them and just look at the positive side that you have a family in the church. And, you know, at the same time, knowing this, that not everybody who goes to church is part of the family. Right? You're like, well, Manny, I've been coming here for five months now or whatever. This is my, you know, 37,000th time in Cairo Chapel Almani and I know all your jokes and all that kind of stuff. And... <laughs> you know, but you guys know that coming to church, it doesn't make you a Christian. You guys know that, right? You had to be born into the family, man. You had to be born again. John chapter 3, verse 3 says, Unless you're born again, you will never see the kingdom of God. You must be born again. 
And John chapter 1, verse 12 says, As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. So, you know, if you want God to be your father, then you must be born again. And so, you know, you're like, well, how can I know if I'm born again? Well, Jesus gives us the answer right there in verse 35. Whoever does the will of God is part of the family. My brother, my sister, my mother. So just ask yourself that question today as you search your own heart. Seriously, is that where you're living? Are you living your life doing the will of God? Because if you do the will of God, then you're part of the family. That proves that you're part of the family. It doesn't save you. What saves you is your faith in Christ. But doing the will of God, it proves that you're part of the family and it's important for us to know that, you guys. I mean, seriously, you know, do you have a heart to do His will? Ephesians 6.6 6 says that we don't work with eye service as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of Christ from the heart. Doing the will of God from the heart. Are you here today and you're like, man, I just want to do the will of God? Is that your heart? If it is, and it shows you're a Christian. As a matter of fact, in uh, 1 Peter 4, 1 and 2, it says, So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude He had, and be ready to suffer too. For if you are willing to suffer for Christ, you have decided to stop sinning. Interesting. And you won't spend the rest of your life chasing after evil desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of of God. Okay, that that's not a bad anxiety, that's a good like urgency. I just I just want to do the will of God. Now that's when you know someone's a Christian. They wake up in the morning and they're like, "Well, what should I do today? Who should I talk to today?" Well, Lord, you know, my whole day is yielded to the Lord. That's how you know when someone is really born again. I talk to people, I'll be honest with you, I talk to people, I trip out on it. They don't want the will of God. They're like, oh, well, he's going to tell me to do something I don't want to do. And I'm like, dude, he loves you. He knows what's best for you. But they are, they are really caught up in not wanting to do the will of God. Then you're not a Christian. See, when you do the will of God, it proves that you are. You know, if we do the will of God, 1 John 2.17 says, then we will abide forever. And that means that we're going to go to heaven, you guys. And I pray that that would just really capture our hearts as far as being part of our Father's family is really encompassed in whether or not you and I have come to the place in our life where we do the will of God. You've got to give Him your heart. You have to give God your heart. You know, yesterday was cool. We were at a birthday party, and I was talking to the one of, one of the young guys there. And, you know, um, I was just uh, like having a little conversation. It's like, hey, do you ever go to church? That's usually where I started off or whatever. And uh, he's, he's like, nah, Mom, well, do you, what do you believe in Jesus? And I, and I just started talking to him. You know, why not, you know? And because uh, I, I tell him this. I was like, not that I'm trying to press or preach. I'm just curious as a pastor, like what people think. I use that as an excuse, right? 
And I'm also, do you believe Jesus died for you on the cross? And he said, yeah. And I said, okay, do you believe Jesus died for everybody on the cross? He said, yeah. And then I asked him, I said, well, um, then why is it that, oh, I said, do you believe everybody goes to heaven? And he said, no. And I said, okay, so you believe Jesus died on the cross, he died for everybody on the cross, but not everybody's going to heaven. I said, so, so why is it that some are going to heaven and some aren't when Jesus died for everybody? And it was just so cool. He, just, he gave me the answer. I didn't have to give him any answers. He just said, well, I guess you have to give him your heart. I said, yeah, you're right. That's it. I mean, you have to come to that place in your life where you give God your heart. Not my will, but his will. That's how you know whether or not you're a Christian, whether or not you're part of the family of God. And the cool thing about it is that when you come to that place of doing the will of God, then everything lines up. You know, because you're like, well, some people are like, well, how do I know who I should marry? You know, that guy over there, he's, he's pretty buff and handsome. And I'm thinking maybe he's the guy. How can I know the will of God? Or like, how, how do I know what job I'm supposed to work at? Or what ministry I'm supposed to be involved in? Or how do I know like those, you know, concealed secrets? And I said, well, this is the way. This is the way you know the concealed will of God is by being obedient to the revealed will of God. And when you have a heart to do what God has already told you to do, the things that are plain and main, then you're going, all those other things are going to fall into place. It's really cool how it all works out. As a matter of fact, there's a neat passage over in Luke 8.21. Uh, it gives us a, a detail and a link to the will of God in the same context. In Luke 8, it says, but he answered and said to them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. And so that's how you're going to know the will of God, by knowing the word of God. And when you have a heart to do the will of God, then it shows you're part of the family of God. And it's so cool the way that it all works when you read the scriptures and you discover the truth about the family. Okay, second thing is the truth about the fight. And whether you consider yourself a fighter or not, um, I pray that you would. Maybe you're, I think it was Michael Jackson, he's, oh, I'm a lover, not a fighter. Sorry, bro, you got to be both, man. You know, one of them, I don't know if it was Paul McCartney or him, but anyways, um, you guys, we got to be fighters. When Paul died, when he was about to die, he said, I have fought the good fight. And there is a fight that we are engaged in, not against flesh and blood, not against people. We are fighting against demons. We are fighting against demons for our own soul. And you are fighting against demons for the souls of your children, your loved ones, your spouses, your friends. And don't ever forget that. Look what we read next in Mark 3. It says in verse 22, and the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebub, and by the ruler of the demons he casts out demons. So he called them to himself and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but has an end. 
No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. And so there's a, there's a fight that takes place. It's interesting how this all begins right here. The, the religious leaders, the scribes, uh, the other gospel tells us they came from Jerusalem. So they came to spy on Jesus, and they already had their theology and their philosophy made up. They said, if you ever see Jesus cast out another demon, I want you to let everybody know that he's only doing it by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Now, Beelzebub is a crazy uh, pagan deity from the Philistines. They actually believed in him to be the lord of the flies, okay? And uh, here's the crazy thing, you guys. Beelzebub, the lord of the flies. Flies land on poop. Okay, I'm sorry to say that from the pulpit, but this is, this is what was going on here. This title of Beelzebub had evolved in the most derogatory statement that anybody can make. And here they are saying to Jesus, not just that you're casting out demons by Satan, but you're casting out demons by Beelzebub, the lord of the dung. I mean, it was just absolutely the most derogatory statement they could say to the face of God who in their presence was setting people free. And so as he's there, and, you know, first of all, he deals with their false logic and then their false theology. He says, come on, you guys. Because here's the Lord casting out demons, maybe doing some amazing things. And he, and he first, he tells them it's not logical. He says, how can this be? How can Satan cast out Satan? He says there in verse 24, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided itself against itself, that house cannot stand. I mean, the principle of the logic is if you've got a kingdom that's supposed to expand and grow and be effective, you know, it will not stand if you find it, you know, cut in half and divided against itself. That's why God hates division in the body of Christ. Any type of division where he starts talking about her and all these kind of things start happening, you know, the gossip and the slander, those begin, they begin to sow seeds of discord and disunity among the brethren. God hates it because he knows that that makes that ministry so ineffective. We got to be together, whether it's a kingdom. One translation talks about a city. Here he even mentions a house. A house divided against itself, it will not stand. You know, some translations even use the word family. A family against itself, it won't stand. And that's why, again, another quick side note here to take into consideration, husband and wife, you guys got to be on the same page. You must be together. And you won't be together unless you pray together. I promise you that. That'll never happen until both husband and wife are willing to get down on their knees and pray together because the devil is trying everything he can to destroy our country and the way that he's doing is by destroying the family, the fabric of society. And the way that he's destroying the family is by separating husband and wife. If you guys are divided against each other and you don't have the same philosophy in raising children, seeking the Lord, spending money anything, then the devil will come in and have a field day. 
So we all know that, that that principle of logic is that a house divided against itself, a kingdom divided against itself, that will never stand. There is just no way, Jesus said, that that's what's going on right here. This is what's going on. And the Lord explains it right here in verse 27, where he gives them this parable. He says, no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds a strong man and then he will plunder his house. And so, unfortunately, we all are too familiar with these types of scenarios where a home invasion takes place. And I was reading some online. I probably shouldn't have because it's, it's the, the stories are, are, just, are just absolutely terrible. You know, where someone comes knocking at your door and for whatever reason, they, they open it up and then the guys just push their way in and they tie them up, and they do all the terrible things, and then they plunder their goods. That's the only way that you could take out from the house, is you got to overpower them, you got to tie them up, and then you can plunder their goods. I was reading story after story. You guys be careful with that. Um, even windows that were left open, they would somehow crawl in. And, and what's happened in the world that we live in, what's happened, you guys, is the enemy has come in. The enemy has come into our lives, into our house. We somehow allowed that door to be open. We somehow left the window open. Sometimes it's through drugs or alcohol, pornography, different things, and the devil comes in. And what does he do? He takes people captive. That's what's going on. So what Jesus is explaining here is that principle of overpowering someone else, and then we can kind of take it to the next step. And what ends up happening is let's just say that you got kidnapped by the devil. And there you are in whatever place it is. Now Jesus comes in, and he overpowers the strong man. He ties him up. He binds him. And then he brings you to himself. He rescues you. You see... And that's what happens when we fight. You know, and you got your, your kid or you got your friend or someone that's heavy on your heart. And the bottom line is, is they are held captive by the devil, by the enemy, right? And so here I am, and I was thinking about this morning about uh, many people that I know that are, are backslidden and just wanting to really reach them and they're just uh, confronted really face to face with my own impotence, how I, I don't have the strength. But then understanding uh, just, just so beautiful the way that Jesus does. And so somehow we have to allow the Lord to work through us so that his power would go in and break the chains and bind the strong man and rescue our loved ones. And I really believe, and I think God is making it so clear to us, that that's not going to happen. We will not experience the power of God to set the captives free unless we are willing to pray and fast. Pray and fast. And release, unleash the power of Jesus Christ into that situation. You see, the same Jesus who was doing this then... He does it now. But the difference is, is he's looking for vessels through whom he might work. I wonder if there's anyone here 
who would like the power of God in their life. The power of God through your life to reach somebody that you have been crying out to God for. That's what Jesus is teaching us here. This is how we fight. See, we got to know the truth about, about the family. Loving God more, praising Him for the fact that we have a church family, but then not giving up on them. And we got to know the truth about the fight, that as we unleash the power of Jesus Christ, man, it's so cool to see that He'll give us that victory. But we got to make sure it's the Lord. And then thirdly, the truth about, about forgiveness. Look at verse 28. He says, Assuredly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they may utter. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation because they said he has an unclean spirit. So let me ask you a question. Can God forgive any sin? Almost. <laughs> We're going to see there's one that he can't. But, you know, maybe you're here today and you, you did drugs. Or you've done alcohol and you've been drinking. Or maybe you mistreated a family member. Maybe you lied. Maybe you, uh, I don't know, you were looking at porn. Um... The Bible talks about in Proverbs 28, 13, that if we confess our sins and forsake them, then it's so cool, God, he'll forgive any sin. Probably one of the worst uh, people in the whole Bible was Paul, who murdered Christians. In one sense, that would be like murdering your wife. I don't know if I could think of anything worse than that. And God forgave him. And God restored his life. And God used him. I'm telling you, guys, no matter what, God is here today to wash away your sins. His blood is strong enough to forgive us and to give us a new start. Remember that. And you're like, well, Manny, I did it seven times. Well, you know what? I probably did it 77 times. God's not like that. All he wants is you to be real. All he wants is for us to be sincere and to come to him and say, and you might even have to say something like, I can't stop doing this on my own strength, but I want to, Lord. I want to stop. I want to change. I want to overcome. You know, so much of what we live with, and you guys don't even realize this, but the handicaps that we have are because of the fact that we are walking around and we feel the burden of the guilt of sin. And Jesus Christ, what he wants to do is to take that burden off of you. You don't have to walk through life that way. He will take that burden and he will take your sins and will cast it as far as the east is from the west. And he will never throw it back into your face. He will never bring it up again. When he washes away your sins, they are obliterated. See, there is no sin that he can't forgive except one. And that's what he talks about here. Surely I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men, and, and whatever blasphemies they may utter... Now that right there is in reference to the way they had just blasphemed Christ and said, you cast out demons by Beelzebub. I mean, that, like I said, was just 
absolutely awful that they would do that. He said, I'll, I'll forgive you of that. We'll forgive you of that. But here's the one thing that you got to be careful of that you got to know. This one, however, is not forgivable. He says, but he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never, you might want to circle that word in your Bible, never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. And you're like, well, what's that, Manny? You know what that is? That's, that's the voice of the Holy Spirit who's calling you to Christ. It's the voice of the Holy Spirit who knocking on the door of your heart and saying, give your life to Christ. You know, and, and if, you, if you resist that voice and, you know, you die in that condition, then you will go to hell. And it will be something that, you know, you chose. I don't want God. But what the Lord is trying to do here with these guys, is He's trying to warn them. Why would He warn them? Because He loves them. He doesn't want them to go to hell. He wants them to go to heaven. But they got to understand that that voice that's calling them it's not a man. In one sense, it's, it's almost like it wasn't even Jesus, kind of. It was, it was a Holy Spirit. The Bible talks about the ministry of the Holy Spirit who is uh, here gathering a bride for Christ. He's the one knocking on your heart. He's the one making things clear. He's the one that you can't resist. You know, a lot of people say that John the Baptist was kind of sent by the Father. So when they rejected him, they rejected the Father. And then Jesus was crucified by the religious leaders, so they rejected the Father, then they reject the Son, but now it's kind of like the last chance. What will you do with the voice of the Holy Spirit? Will you resist Him? You know, later on in the book of Acts chapter 7, when Stephen was, was dying and they were killing him, he was going to be the first martyr of the church, he said, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in ear and heart, how you Always resist the voice of the Holy Spirit. See, God will forgive anything except for that one sin where that Holy Spirit is pointing you to Jesus. And what you want to make sure, you guys, is that you don't harden your heart. As a matter of fact, the Bible says today, if you hear His voice, don't harden your hearts. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I'm telling you this, man, that God loves you. He loves you with words that are beyond words. He loves you with a love that's indescribable. But see, our sins have separated us from him. He's a holy God, and he can't allow sin into heaven. So what he did in order to rectify that is he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross. And he died for all your sins. They were all laid on him. He paid the penalty. He suffered the suffering that we deserve. He experienced the guilt and separation from the Father that we deserve forever. He paid it all. They put him in a grave after he died. And the third day he rose again just to prove that he conquered death. And so today, all God is doing is inviting you. Come. Come to Jesus. Believe in him and what he's done for you. Repent of your sins and receive Christ as Lord and Savior. And as you do that, man, your sins will be wiped away. You know, I, I, I'll close with uh, the, the argument of uh, C.S. Lewis. It's, it's kind of it's cool how it, it really fits in with today's study. 
You guys, have you guys seen, uh, what's it called? You haven't seen that? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> I want to see if you guys are thinking right now. Um, C.S. Lewis, he did some movies, The Chronicles of Narnia, but what are they called? Lord, yeah, that, right, okay. <laughs> He's a brilliant guy, man. He was an atheist, uh, uh, teacher at Oxford uh, University, um, and eventually he got saved, and he was just a great thinker. But he, he, uh, he invented this uh, argument, it's called the trilemma of Christ, and uh, he said that there's really only three options when it comes to Jesus. Either he's a lunatic, and that's what his family thought, huh? Because he's saying, I'm God, love me, go to heaven, follow me, I'm with you forever. Okay, so either he's a lunatic, or he's a liar. Like he knew he was like lying and he's just doing it anyways. Or he's Lord. Those are the only three options. You're like, well, yeah, Jesus is a good prophet, he's a cool teacher, yeah, I, I, you know. What do you believe? Is he the Lord of your life? Because there's nothing else. Either he's mad or bad or God, huh? And that's the decision that you have to make. You know what? You're free, man. You're free to follow whoever you want to follow. You're free to choose whoever you want to choose. But I'm telling you this, man. If you choose Jesus Christ, he will set you free. He will bless your life. He'll write your name in the book of life. You'll go to heaven when you die, and you'll experience it while you live. This is not a religion. We don't just go and come out of habit. We don't play church. We are the church, and it is a relationship, and we come because of our heart that beats for him. So I, either you're in or you're out. Either you're with him or you're against him. There's no middle ground. And so I pray if there is anyone here who's been straddling the fence, that you would today, that we would today submit to who he really is. He is the Lord. And I pray that you would know that.